0: Beloved, here's how we ought to think about the Christian hope. To be a Christian is to be united to the risen and glorified Lord Jesus Himself, the one who now reigns from heaven. He is present with every believer. He abides in you by His Holy Spirit, and His presence in you is the grounds for your hope. The hope of glory, that one day, just as He has been raised to everlasting glory, we too will rise with new glorified resurrection bodies and reign with Him forever. That's the point of our glorification, to be with Him. And friends, this glorification has already begun with our sanctification, As we behold the glory of our Savior in His Word with the eyes of faith, we are being transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. And so this morning as we fix our eyes beyond the grave, let's listen to the voice of our Savior who speaks and transforms His people by His gracious Word. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16. And we'll look at the text from verse 16 all the way to chapter five, verse five. Second Corinthians 4:16 to chapter five, verse five. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this blight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would now renew our minds by your Spirit and comfort us as we reflect on these glorious truths that teach us about what is unseen and eternal. Teach us to be heavenly-minded so that we would not lose heart because of the afflictions of this present age. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. How much would it cost to eradicate the world of all its diseases. Well, in 2016, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan announced a $3 billion plan to erase all diseases by 2100. That's quite a claim. Keep in mind that this is the social media platform that runs fact checks on your posts. Someone should have fact checked this one. Now, how are they planning to achieve this goal? Well, by creating an advanced computing system that uses artificial intelligence to study cell behavior and developed predictive models. In other words, guesswork. But this claim is not as bold as the claim that that Dr. Jose Cordero made when he spoke at the Dubai Future Forum last year. His claim was that human aging is a problem that can be reversed. <clears throat> he said that anyone who is still alive by the year 2030 has a good chance of living forever. <laughs> Speaking to the reporters from the national newspaper, Dr. Cordiero said, we are very close to figuring it out. Aging is a technical problem that we understand and can probably reverse. And how does he think that this can be achieved? By studying the genome sequence of a particular species of jellyfish that appears to be immortal. He said, it's a likelihood that people will soon be able to live forever rather than a possibility. I personally don't plan on dying, he said. But what about people in society who think that death is inevitable? Well, to that, the good doctor said, there are mental issues that need to be resolved as we have become accustomed to the fact we will all die since the beginning of humanity. But it does not need to be that way anymore. You know, I checked his website a few days ago. You know, Now he says, death will be optional by 2045. <laughs> Friends, I want to suggest that incredible claims like this are often made and are unfortunately believed in, is because these peddlers of false hope know that there is a market for this kind of thing. There are people out there looking for hope. They are longing to put their trust and give their all to some cause that might save them. And notice how these secular and medical false prophets market their hope with eloquence, And power from on high called PowerPoint. If it's on a slide, it must be true, right? They market it on grand forums, rubbing shoulders with movers and shakers with the rich. Oh, it's all so impressive, isn't it? But according to Paul, true hope, real hope, unshakable hope, in the face of suffering and death and disease, is not found at an impressive forum or in a lab, but in jars of clay. You are the people, ordinary Christians, whom God has called to give a reason for the hope within you. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has commanded us. He has given us this privilege of proclaiming a message of hope a message of life and glory this is the ministry that you and I are called to this message is not an impressive message by worldly standards it does not promise health wealth and worldly success instead it calls people to see themselves as sinners in light of God's word It calls people to see that God stands over them in judgment and it calls people to abandon self-reliance and turn to the only way that they can be saved and that is by repenting of their sins and trusting in Jesus Christ who is God in the flesh. Beloved, because Jesus died and rose from the dead, we who trust in Him have this sure hope that one day we too shall rise from the dead and step into a new world where there will be no more suffering, pain, or death. But God has not only designed this message to be foolish in the eyes of the world, he has also entrusted this message to weak and unimpressive messengers, men and women whose lives are marked by affliction. Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God And not to us. Friends, as ministers of this gospel, we who hold out this great hope are called to suffer trials and troubles of various kinds. God Himself leads us into them. He does this in order to teach us not to rely on our own strength, but His. God loves to make His power manifest through our weakness so that it may be evident to all that power belongs to Him. So as we proclaim Christ who suffered and died and rose from the dead, people will not only be able to hear the gospel, but they will also be able to see this gospel pattern in our lives where we too suffer cross-like afflictions and yet are raised up every day from the depths of our discouragements by resurrection-like comforts by the power of God see, this work of God in us not only comforts us, but also equips us to comfort one another, to comfort other believers by speaking the life-giving words of the gospel to them. Beloved, this is what keeps us going. This is how suffering Christians are, are able to endure in the work that the Lord has called us to, both in the church and in the world. And so as we look at our text this morning, the first lesson we can learn is this. We can know encouragement in suffering because God is at work in us. That's simple enough, isn't it? We can know encouragement in suffering because God is at work in us. Look at verse 16. Paul writes, so we do not lose heart. Now when you see that word so or therefore that tells you that Paul is drawing a conclusion. In chapter 4, verses 13 to 15, Paul tells us that he communicates God's life-giving, life-transforming comfort to the Corinthians through speaking, through speaking the words of the gospel. He does this in hope, knowing that the God who raised Jesus will also raise him and the Corinthians together and bring them all into his presence. And friends, this sort of ministry where we speak words of gospel comfort to, to one another will result in an increasingly thankful congregation. You know, that should motivate you to do more and more. More and more people will praise and glorify God through this ministry, according to Paul. And remember where this flows from, where all of it flows from. Look at chapter 4, verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Our afflictions are meant to mirror the dying of Christ in our bodies so that the resurrection life of Christ might also be manifested in our bodies. Paul makes it clear that this comfort that we receive from the Lord is not meant for us alone, but it's for other members. It's meant for ministry in the local church so that through our speaking, God himself ministers to others. And this is good reason, says Paul, to endure and not lose heart. These truths are like the fresh winds that blow away the dark clouds of discouragement in ministry. But friends, there's more comfort here. There's more comfort in these verses that can help us endure in our Christian walk. There are things that God is doing in our present suffering that we cannot see. But we must grasp them by faith. Look at the verse, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now our outer outer self or outer person or man, as some translations put it, it's that part of us that belongs to this present age. Our physical bodies, our minds, that that part of us that will eventually die, and it has already begun to die. Our outer self is wasting away, says Paul. We are breaking down. We are deteriorating, crumbling. Our afflictions are, in a sense, eating away at us. We are figuratively dying. We are always carrying in our bodies the death of Christ. These afflictions, they include the stress and the emotional anguish that accompany the hardships of ministry or life in general. But it also includes the trauma of physical suffering or persecution or loss or the weakening of the body caused by age and disease. Listen to John Flavel describe the labors of a gospel minister. The labors of ministry will exhaust the very marrow from your bones hasten old age and death. They are fitly compared to the toil of men in harvest, to the labors of a woman in travail, and to the agonies of soldiers in the extremities of battle. But merely knowing that doesn't bring us any encouragement, doesn't it? Does it? No, if we're honest, that's just depressing to hear. And rightfully so. You see, Christians are not people who find pleasure in affliction, that would be sinful and twisted. No, what is encouraging to hear is what God is doing in us through those ravaging afflictions. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And in that, we can find great comfort and joy. Our inner self or inner person is being renewed. Now, our inner self or inner person is not merely the immaterial part of us, like our minds. It certainly includes that, but it's not merely that. It's the inner person that has been made new. It is the new self that belongs to the age to come. Not the immaterial part of the old self, but the new self which includes new desires, and new affections, and new thoughts, and new longings. It's that which flows from a heart that has been made new. It is who we are in Christ, and it is that person that is being renewed. Did you notice that passive verb, being renewed? God is the one doing that. He is the God of all comfort, and He loves to do this for His weak children. In Isaiah 40, when God's people are discouraged and weary because of their circumstances, He calls them to look to Him. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, He says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will be encouraged, those who look to the Lord. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, God is the great encourager of His people and He loves to manifest His power in our weakness. And this is what God is doing here. He is renewing our inner self. He is restoring the image that was once marred by sin, and He is transforming and conforming us to the image of His Son. Or as Paul puts it in Ephesians 3.16, He is strengthening us with power through His Spirit in our inner being. And did you notice when He does this, how often He does this? Day by day. Day by day. Every day. You know, this is not just about those times when your, when your persecutor is saying to you, reject Christ or I'll kill you. It's not just about those times. No, this is about afflictions that accompany everyday faithfulness. Don't you feel that way? Fathers, men, when you come home after a a long day of working hard, perhaps after having a rather discouraging conversation with a co-worker you were trying to share the gospel with, and on the way back you realize that there are bills yet to be paid, there are things that you need to get done, and you start to feel overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Yet, when you get home, you set those thoughts aside, and you listen to your wife, you try to serve her in ways you think would be helpful, and then you spend time with your children, and then you try and put in some reading time before you go to bed, or perhaps prepare for a Bible discussion with a friend that you're meeting. That's a lot, isn't it? It's taxing, physically and mentally. And yet you do it not because you have to, because you want to. You do it because you love Jesus and you love His church. But it takes a toll on you, doesn't it? You will waste away doing that. If you are a man who is faithfully committed to doing what God has called you to do, as a Christian, as a member, as a husband, as a father, as a son... And to do it in a world that is under a curse, where there are headaches and back pains and migraines and worn out joints and rising cholesterol levels and heart disease and kidney disease and diabetes and immune system disorders in a world filled with thorns and thistles that work against you, and your sinful flesh works against you, and Satan works against you, and unbelievers are at enmity against you. You know that this is true. You're wasting away. Just go look at a picture of yourself 10 years ago and compare it with the man you see in the mirror. I don't think we think about this enough, but Ordinary, everyday faithfulness. If you set your heart to do what God has called you to do in the scriptures. Ordinary, everyday faithfulness is hard. And in the good things that God has called us to do, He, God Himself, will lead us into suffering. Now we have to be careful here. We don't want to call good evil and evil good. So fatherhood is not suffering. That's a good thing. It's a privilege that God has called us to. And yet in fatherhood, there can be suffering. Most often there is. God has called us to ministry in the local church. That's a good thing. It's a privilege. It's a wonderful thing. And yet we know that in ministry, there is often suffering. In the good things that God has called us to do, He will lead us into suffering. It's not just the missionaries out there who are called to suffer, it's every Christian. Now, God may very well lead you to go to another place for the sake of the gospel or pursue pastoral ministry of some kind. But, friends, remember this God leads all His children in triumphal procession. But, brothers, I have very good news for you. Be of good cheer. Because that life that I just described is a very Christ-like life. It's a life marked with self-denial and hardships so that others can be loved well and provided for. So don't lose heart. Because through it all, the Lord is renewing your inner man. As He exposes idols in your heart, as he exposes self-reliance and sin, as he exposes selfishness, as he brings you to your knees so that you can look to your Savior. God did this for Paul in his afflictions, didn't he? You remember Paul felt like he had received the sentence of death, but here's what he said, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, 1 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians one nine. Brothers, remember that in all your faithful and obedient and loving labors, you are laboring as jars of clay. So look to Christ for His cleansing power. Look to Christ for His life-giving, life-transforming power that will sustain you in doing what is good and right as a servant of the Lord Jesus. Women, mothers, what about you? Do you find yourself wasting away? After having two or three children, your your bodies have taken a beating and you've got all the marks and the scars to prove it. After all those sleepless nights and feeding, especially moms with babies, you literally have little human beings feeding off you in order that they may live. And then there's hours of cooking and caring for the home helping kids with schoolwork and instructing them in the Word and constantly disciplining them and juggling a full schedule to make sure you don't neglect the Word and prayer, making sure you don't neglect your husband, making time somewhere in between all of that to minister to other women in the church for their encouragement. And it takes a toll on you, doesn't it? Your outer self is wasting away. And yet, sisters, I have a very good news for you. If you are a woman who is faithfully committed to doing what God has called you to do as a Christian, as a member, as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, and to do it in a world that is perishing with a perishable body, Yet constantly, day after day after day, giving yourself away so that others may thrive and live and flourish under your care. Sisters, that is a very Christ-like witness. You are being like your Savior who loved you and gave himself up for you. So be of good courage. Know that the Lord is renewing your inner self. He's exposing your self-reliance and selfishness, bringing you to the end of yourself every day. So that the God who raises the dead can supply you with His strength, with His joy, so that you might endure and He gets all the glory. And when those single women come up to you with discontent hearts saying, Oh, you don't know how much, how stressful my nine-to-five job is. It must be so nice to sit at home like you. Oh, I can't wait to get married. When that happens, pray for these deluded women. Older women, comfort these younger women with the comfort that you have received. As you look to your risen Lord, teach them to rely on the God who raises the dead and not on their own strength. They will need it. They will need to know how to do that, especially if they want to get married and live faithfully. Beloved, what the Lord is doing in your heart in transforming your new self through his resurrection power, is far more glorious than you can imagine. Notice what affliction produces. Look at verse 17. For, that's the reason. Reason for what? Paul says we do not lose heart even though destruction and renewal are simultaneously happening. For, because we need to look at this through the lens of the cross. In light of what Christ has accomplished in the new covenant. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul says here's how we ought to look at suffering in light of the cross. In light of what Jesus has accomplished. The new creation has been inaugurated. The powers of the kingdom of God of the age to come have already broken in to this present evil age. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead with a new resurrection body. And because of that, we have been made alive. We have been born again. We have been given eternal life already. But we still await the fullness of eternal life when we too, like Jesus, will be raised from the dead and will live with Him for all eternity, forever And ever, and ever, our suffering is leading to glory. And the reason I'm telling you this is because this is where the argument began. In chapter 3, with the glory of new covenant ministry. This is why we must look at suffering through the lens of eternity. And when you look at our suffering with that perspective, when you weigh it, when you compare it with the eternal weightiness of what is coming, Paul says, our affliction is light. Beloved, no matter how hard or how painful your suffering is, it's light. You know, Paul is not minimizing or making light of suffering. Now, how could you think that when in this letter he has opened his heart to us? We were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself, he wrote. No, he's not making light of it. He's teaching us to view it rightly. In light of the glory of eternity, a glory that is surpassing. There is nothing in existence with which you can compare it with. Even your wildest creaturely imagination will be poor and inadequate. In light of that, he says, compared to that, our suffering is light. No matter how heavy your burden may be, eternity outweighs it. It outweighs it. Not only is it light, Paul says it's momentary. It's fleeting. It's temporary. Along with this age, it's passing away. Beloved, that pain you feel because you have lost a loved one? Listen to me. Your Savior gives you hope. He promises you He promises you that your distress, your pain, your anguish will one day be over. The king who upholds the universe by the word of his power, the one who is Lord of the church has spoken and so it shall be. You can stake everything on this hope. So plant your flag firmly in this hope and stand your ground. Don't buy into the lies of those who sell false hope. Trust in the one who defeated Satan, sin, and death, and is risen and is glorified. Beloved, the Lord ordains all our sufferings in order to get us ready for home, for our heavenly home. Did you notice that word preparing in the text? This affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. That word preparing describes a process. In God's good and loving and gracious hands, affliction prepares us, does something to us. It is cultivating. It is working in us to produce something. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And that teaches us two things. Two things. Number one, it means that no trial, no discouragement... No adversity or anguish that you experience as a Christian is meaningless. If you are a believer who is united to the risen, exalted Lord Jesus, none of it is in vain. In fact, it is all gain. Isn't that the great Christian paradox that turns worldly categories upside down for the believer? Loss is gain. For whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Mark 8:35. And here's the second thing that it means. If God is using afflictions to prepare us for eternal glory. This means that there is no hardship, no ordeal, no misery and no catastrophe that can get in the way, that can thwart God's loving plan for you. He works all things for your eternal good. Nothing can separate you from His fatherly love. Nothing can disrupt your union with your Savior. No one can drive you away from His presence. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, don't lose heart. But how does God accomplish this? How does something so painful accomplish or grow or prepare for us an eternal weight of glory? And the answer to that is given in the next verse. Remember that this is about our inner self being renewed. So how does it happen? Look at verse 18. The preparation, the cultivation happens as... We look. This is the means by which it happens. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Now, what are these things that are seen? Well, the things that are seen are those things in this present age that cause the wasting away of our outer self. Our afflictions, our persecutions, our discomforts, our distresses. It's your deteriorating joints, your stooped posture, your susceptibility to infections, your diminished vision, your decreasing energy levels, that emotional anguish you carry knowing another member's struggle and pain. The heartache of a relationship yet unreconciled because of sin. The toil and the weariness that often accompanies the ordinary ministry of discipling one another and serving faithfully. Paul says, don't fix your gaze on those things. Those are real afflictions. They can be seen and felt and cause great discouragement. But look to the things that you cannot see. Look to the things that you cannot see. And immediately you can hear how weird that sounds, can't you? Look at things you cannot look at. And the only way you can make sense of that, is to consider the next verse. Here's why you ought to do that. For the things that are seen are transient. They are passing away. They are temporary, like the old covenant. But the things that are unseen, those things that He tells us to look at instead, the things that are unseen are eternal. Now this starts to make better sense. Paul wants us to to fix our eyes on eternal truths, truths contained in the word. Remember that in this letter, Paul often uses seeing as a metaphor for hearing. We are to fix our eyes on eternal glory. And where is this glory seen? It is in the face of Jesus Christ, whose word, whose gospel we proclaim. Friends, the eternal glory that Paul wants us to fix our eyes upon cannot be understood apart from Christ, whose glory surpasses everything. We have these promises of eternal glory in Him and not apart from Him. Because he rose, we who are in him will also rise in eternal glory. You see, the renewal of the inner self takes place as we behold, as we put our trust in what Christ has promised in his gospel. That's how this renewal takes place. You already know that. 2 Corinthians 3.18, look at the text. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into Christ-likeness from one degree of glory to another. Ever-increasing glory. And this happens because we are not looking at something that's fading. We're gazing at eternal, everlasting glory. And the Holy Spirit does this. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait, I thought that passage was about sanctification. It is. It is a progressive renewal that takes place as you look at those unseen realities that are written and promised to us in the Word of Christ. But friends, remember what sanctification is. It's nothing but a preparation for glorification. To be changed into the image of Christ doesn't merely involve a spiritual growth in holiness. Let me say that again. To be changed into the image of Christ doesn't merely involve a spiritual growth in holiness. The image that we are being transformed into includes a glorified Christ-like resurrection body. That's where this is heading. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man from heaven, that's Christ. We progress from one degree of glory to another as we look to our Savior and His promises until our sanctification is one day complete in glorification. When we will be graciously given our new resurrection bodies, Those are the unseen, eternal truths that Paul wants us to look to. And we know that these are the unseen truths that he wants us to trust in, to place our hope in, because the next five verses are about what? The next five verses in chapter 5 are about our resurrection bodies. One day when Christ returns for His people, He will raise the dead, and He will transform those who are alive and are waiting for Him. But here's why what Paul describes in this passage is so comforting, beloved. While we wait for that day, while we wait for His return and and labor on, the Lord is so kind to us, so loving, and so gracious to us, that He assures us of this hope. What hope? That He will raise us. He assures us of this hope. Every day in the midst of our affliction. And here's how he does it. Every time he lifts our weary heads. Every time he strengthens us in our sorrow. Every time the life of Jesus is manifested in our bodies. When he manifests his power in our weakness. When he gives us new mercies every day. So that we are afflicted but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not destroyed. Sleepless, and yet serving. Grieving, and yet praising. Slandered, and yet singing. That comfort, that power of the gospel at work in us is nothing but a foretaste of resurrection glory. Or as the song we sang right before the sermon puts it, it's a glimpse of glory now revealed in meager part. It is God saying to you, every time He does that, it's God saying to you, do you see my power in you? This same power will raise you from the dead. Press on, I will raise you from the dead. Brothers and sisters, this should drive away all doubt. It will encourage you in your ministry to one another and make you long for your Savior's return when we will be made just like Him. Don't look to what is seen. Look to the unseen, eternal realities that God has in store for us. Walk by faith and not by sight. Friend, if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you that this hope that we possess, this can be your hope if you turn away from your sins and you put your trust entirely in Jesus Christ. See, our fundamental problem is not that we are sick or suffering. Our fundamental problem is that we are sinners who have turned away from the goodness and the wisdom of our Maker. Sickness and suffering and death, they exist in the world today only because of mankind's rebellion against God. And yet God is so gracious that He sent His only Son, the Lord Jesus, to suffer and die in the place of sinners so that all who turn away from their sin and put their trust in Him alone can be forgiven of their sins and receive this gift of eternal life. We know this is true because on the third day, He rose from the dead with the new resurrection body and ascended into heaven from where He now reigns and will come again to take His people home. Ours is a living hope that makes all our afflictions light and momentary. Friends, you can know this hope. You can embrace this hope if you look to Jesus and call on Him to forgive you and save you. Believe in Him and He will sustain you through all your sorrows. You know, finite and sinful human beings cannot offer you eternal life, but an eternal God can. You're not guaranteed life tomorrow. So turn to Jesus today. Point number two. We can know encouragement in suffering because we have a guarantee from God. We can know encouragement in suffering because we have a guarantee from God. Dr. Jose Cordiero cannot give you the guarantee of an immortal resurrection body. But our God can. And he has. Look at chapter 5 verses 1 to 5. Here are the unseen eternal promises that Paul wants us to consider. To fix our eyes on. Beloved, this is the essence of hope. Hope is nothing but a future looking faith. It is a grace that God will give us in the future. We don't see it now. But we can know it. And trust what God tells us in his word. So what are we waiting for? That we know is coming well look at verse 1 of chapter 5 for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed what's he talking about he's talking about our physical bodies that belong to this age that's what's being destroyed that's what's wasting away and did you notice what he calls it he calls it a tent friends a tent is a temporary structure it's not of permanent fixture might be good for camping, but you can't live in one forever. The sun and the rain and the other elements will wear it down and eventually it'll collapse. Our bodies are like that. 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years if you're healthy, the Lord wills, and then we die, we return to the dust. We know if the tent that is our earthly home is being destroyed, We have a building from God. Tent, building. A building is a permanent structure compared to a tent. We know, we trust that if the tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. We have, Paul says. Paul uses the present tense because the future promise is sure. He's he's referring here to our resurrection body. That's the building. A house not made with hands. And that simply means that it's not man-made. God made it. It's eternal in the heavens. This resurrection body that we have from God endures into eternity. This is a body that is not of this earth, but heavenly. God made it, and God gives it to us. It belongs to the things unseen. And yet we have it. We possess it in hope. But not in substance we possess it in hope but not in substance this is how jesus spoke of his new resurrection body didn't he mark 14 58 when people complained about him they said we heard him say i will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days i will build another not made with hands his resurrection body beloved our renewal in affliction happens as we meditate on the sure hope of our resurrection bodies. If you're not doing that in your affliction, let me encourage you to start doing that. Go to passages in the Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. Read those scriptures. Meditate on that. Because Paul says those are the things you need to look at. And, brothers, remember this. God uses every affliction to make us long for that day. Remember, God is the one leading us into these afflictions. And He uses these afflictions to make us long for that day, to stir up hope in us. Look at the next verse, verse 2. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. You know, anyone who has experienced any kind of affliction knows what this means. Means to sigh. Sometimes we let out a moan of discouragement. Sometimes it's an inward groaning. We know and yet we groan. We know and yet we groan. Groaning, as one author put it, is nothing but hope mingled with pain. Hope mingled with pain knowing and yet groaning it's like a woman in labor suffering the pains of childbirth yet hopeful of the joy of having that child you know paul says in romans 8 he teaches us that all of creation is groaning waiting for our resurrection day romans 8 to 23 for we know That the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits. We've been born again. We have new hearts. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We've been redeemed. We have this hope. We wait for the redemption of our bodies, when our sanctification will be complete, when we will be glorified. The groaning is because of our afflictions. You know, when you read the book of Exodus, you'll see how groaning and redemption is related together. Right? When God's people, Israel, were in slavery, they were suffering, Moses writes that they were groaning. And God heard their groaning. And because of His promise to Abraham, He delivered them. He redeemed them. Beloved, our redemption has been accomplished in Christ. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We have been given new spiritual life now, and yet we wait the redemption of our bodies. As we journey as pilgrims, as jars of clay in these tents, our earthly bodies, We groan and we long for the promised land of the new earth. But here's the substance, the nature of our hope. When we meditate on these truths in order to be comforted, we don't long for a bodiless existence. Did you see that in the text? We don't long for a bodiless existence. We're not going to be spirits floating around on clouds like Casper the friendly ghost. Suffering Christians don't seek to escape the body as though the body were evil or a prison house for the soul. No, the hope that provides comfort and sanctification is not a longing to to float around as a bodiless spirit. No, look at the text. We are longing to put on our heavenly dwelling or structure. We want to put on, like putting on new clothes, that building from God. It's that new resurrection body. I want you to understand the language here. You see, death strips off the dignity of the earthly body. That's the imagery here. Death strips off the dignity of the earthly body such that we are naked, figuratively speaking. Beloved, when we die, our dead bodies will be buried like naked seeds in the ground. But when we are raised, we will be clothed with glory. God in His wisdom and power will give to you new resurrection bodies as He has chosen. We will be further clothed with splendor and immortality. Look at the text. We groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Verses 3 to 4. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. The new resurrection body is God's solution the nakedness of death. We don't want the nakedness of death. We should rightly abhor that. Verse 4, for while we are still in this tent, still in this earthly body, we groan, being burdened, being weighed down by afflictions. Not that we would be unclothed. We don't want that. That's not the substance of our hope. That's the problem. Death is the problem. Death is not the solution. Death brings nakedness. Our hope is not the grave. Our hope is what lies beyond the grave. But that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal or perishable may be swallowed up by life, eternal life, immortal life. You know, that word swallowing up refers to a victorious vanquishing of death itself. It's the fulfillment of God's word in Isaiah 25 verse 8. He will swallow up death Forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all our faces. This is my favorite image, favorite picture of our Heavenly Father. You know, when my kids were little and they would cry or fuss or scrape their knees or something, I'd pick them up, put them on my lap, and wipe away their tears and embrace them. God says that's what He'll do. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Beloved, the Christian doesn't long for death as the solution for his or her suffering. No, we long for our glorified resurrection bodies. Scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of detail other than the fact that it'll be just like Jesus' resurrection body. It will be like the bodies we have, and yet, unlike them, they will be without sin and without the ravages of sin and the curse. They will be perfect, immortal, glorious. Now that might be hard to imagine, but beloved, put your trust in the Lord. If a skillful human workman can construct a magnificent monument... Imagine what God can do with your body and mine. Beloved for the Christian, nakedness is not an option. And our loving Heavenly Father is the only one who knows the kind of clothing we need. You remember in the beginning He provides Adam and Eve clothes of animal skin to cover their shame? And those clothes pointed forward to the day when the Lord Jesus would would cover us with the garments of His righteousness. Those are the kind of wedding garments we need to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Eternal condemnation will be the destiny of those who are not clothed properly. Having put our trust in Him, God then calls us to put off the clothes of sin and to put on the clothes of obedience. And one day He will provide us with the clothes of glory. New resurrection bodies so that we can dwell with Him forever in His presence. You know, that's why we need new resurrection bodies. To live with God, to be with Him forever. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 50-53, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our bodies, these tents, in their weakness, in their sin, in their decaying, dying state, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed." For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. Don't you just love that language? It must. This is inevitable. You believe the gospel, this is going to happen. Here's why our hope is sure. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, the last verse. Here's why our hope is sure. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now, when you read that, it almost sounds redundant, doesn't it? Yeah, of course we know it's from God. He's already told us we have a building from God. But Paul wants us to focus on who this God is. Remember how he speaks of God in chapter 4, verse 5, for God who says, let light shine out of darkness, has done this. The Creator God, our Heavenly Father, who spoke the world into existence out of nothing, has prepared a glorious future for you and me. Beloved, this is our confidence, not in ourselves, not in self-determination, not in jellyfish, but in the God who raises the dead. And He has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, as a deposit, as a surety. That's a commercial term. It's a pledge, uh, an installment that tells you that more is coming. The rest will follow. Beloved, God Himself has prepared this for you and He gives you Himself. You know, people give money and their house documents as pledges. God gives you Himself, He's given you His Spirit as a guarantee. I love what Thomas Watson once said. He said, because of this, we are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. Think about that. Because of this, we are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. So brothers and sisters, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. There is coming a time when our Savior will return. And all our sufferings will come to an end. Until then, you have God Himself who abides with you. And it is this God who calls you to minister to His people. It is this God who calls you to serve as a minister of His gospel. So serve Him with courage and serve Him with confident hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope, the sure hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that your people would be comforted through your word and spirit. Help us, O Lord, to look to those things that are unseen and to remember how our afflictions are preparing us for glory. O Lord, give us cheerful hearts. Cause us to endure cause us to love, cause us to give ourselves away, all for your glory. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in this congregation as we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray.